Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here. We're so happy that you've uh, joined us today. We've got um, a couple of announcements um, as part of radical hospitality of what we're trying to live out. We have a newsletter that's available in our um, uh, narthex in the back or the front, however you would refer to that. Um, each week we send out two emails a week with information, things that are coming up for the particular week and uh, a couple months out. But we also provide a printed copy of a number of those things that's sometimes celebrating backwards but mostly looking forwards of things that are coming up. So I want to encourage you to get a newsletter in the back on your way out. And if you um, pay attention to the emails, the one, the first week of the month, it comes as a PDF in that email as well. If you want, if you say, what email? What are we talking about? You can put your email in the church registry, and you will start to get the church email on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, I want to tell you about intentional faith development. We're starting a new series um, tonight from 5.15 to 6.15 uh, for women in the church. It's in the bridal suite, which is just right here. And it's called Overwhelmed Schedule, Underwhelmed Heart. Now I'm guessing the title gives it away of a number of things that are swirling in your life and it makes your mind, your heart uh, weary. This class is designed uh, to not only um, draw women together as they are talking about those things, but also to get uplifting scripture passages and fellowship with one another uh, to help them uh, in that effort. Um, we have uh, missions and nominations tomorrow night as part of our Monday meeting schedule. I ask that you pray for them. It will be their first meeting of the year and uh, we'll be projecting what we're doing um, for our leadership for 20... I still can't get used to 17. 2018, and also um, what we'll do for um, local, regional, national, global missions. Uh, so those two committees will be meeting tomorrow night. Let me um, say just a little bit about Advent United Methodist as well in Simpsonville. Uh, one of my dear friends uh, serves there as the minister. Um, I, I don't know if everyone is familiar, but they had an awful fire this week with their sanctuary. Um, let me tell you the good news about that. Um, the reason there was a fire is because of construction. The construction was to expand their sanctuary. They were expanding their sanctuary because their church is growing um, dramatically and they are making a huge difference right there in that area. And so they already have a great deal of momentum. As part of the construction, they had taken everything out of the sanctuary. So their altar and their baptismal font and all their seats and a number, there might have been a couple of things left. You saw pictures of a um, cross that survived the fire. That was one of the few things that was actually left in the building. And so while it must, I was actually in the first grade when my church um, nearly burned to the ground, it's devastating to see it. But all their stuff was already set up in the gym. They've been worshiping in the gym uh, for some time now. They expected to be out of there by November with the expansion of their sanctuary done. Um, that will be extended um, far beyond that date as they evaluate what they're going to do with that footprint. Um, but they have, um, as you've seen on Facebook, they have excellent leadership, um, excellent um, attitudes and drive. And while this is, uh, a, I would assume, a very painful, emotional um, setback, they have um, tremendous ministry that they're doing in that area. And I have the full confidence that um, they'll be on their way soon. Um, let's stand uh, as you're able and join us in the first hymn, uh, number 145, Morning is Broken.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Scripture lesson today is from the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and seek Him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God.
Lord, we pray for Advent United Methodist today. And anyone around this world that's been displaced by tragedy. Yet they worship. They gather and they read and they pray and they sing. And therefore you are present. Be with all those around this world who are taking time out to understand your will, to understand the opportunity in front of them, to hear real news about their human struggle, and to grow with one another in community. Bless us this day, Lord, as we read the text from 1 Corinthians, as we hear of total conflict, and as we hear of the solution of whom we are and whose we are. Bless us in all things as we pray the prayer your Son taught His disciple to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our offering, I'd like you to turn to the financial report in your bulletin. I don't know how often you do that. It might be something you do every time. It might be something you notice every once in a while. I met with friends last night that I see about every six months. And they said, how's the church going? And I said, uh, you know, I'm just kind of beaming with the generosity of the people in this church. They're generous with their time. They're generous with their talent. They're generous with their money to our church. And we have gone from somewhat uh, struggling place to a place of thriving. And I'm grateful for your generosity in every way because I pour my whole heart into this thing. I'm here all the time because it's my job. There's very few things outside this campus. You know, I got to be at Chandler Creek this week where I'm outside the job here. I know that when y'all come here, it's the time that you have in addition to the thing you're already doing. And so I want to say thank you for that. I appreciate your generosity in, generosity in every way and the progress that we continue to make. If you would like to give online or text to give, you'll see um, instructions on how to do that in the bulletin.
Please be seated. You've been introduced musically to Jan Howell, but I'll introduce you to her. Thank you, Jan, for playing with us this morning. Don has a tremendous opportunity to play with um, Renee Fleming. She is a world-round, world-renowned. <laughs> what? The renowned thing? Or did I say the name wrong? Oh. World-renowned opera singer. She's in Greenville and is singing with uh, students, and Don is playing for her. And um, Jan agreed to um, play with us, and I like a person that walks in and plays like they've been here for five years. I like that. A little swagger. Um, before we start with the scripture lesson, let's talk about a word. Arbitration. Arbitration is when two parties cannot come together. Personally, or professionally, or a personal relationship, or an individual with a business. But they want to avoid the courtroom. They don't want the legal fees, they don't want the time, they don't want it drawn out. And they agree to let one person get all the relevant evidence and make a decision. That person is judge and jury. Now, there's at least two types of arbitration. I'm not sure why the other one exists, but I'm sure there's a reason. One is binding and one is non-binding. Binding means whatever that person uh, decides. Both parties have to agree to that decision once everything has been presented. That one makes the most sense to me. Non-binding is they don't have to abide by the decision, which I would think that's how we got here, by not being able to settle this. But there must be a reason that's beyond my comprehension. The people in the text that we're about to read have been in conflict with one another to the point that it's escalating uh, in a way that they can't do ministry. Uh, Reverend George Strait served here for years. Reverend John Rush served here for years. I've sought out their wisdom and the wisdom of their wives many times. They're always careful to say, uh, you know, I, you know, I know that this is a time in, in this point where you're serving and I know that this is a vision of what we're trying to do. I'll give you some advice. I'm always welcome to receive it. But if some people in the congregation were saying, well, really, George knows what he's doing. That's what we ought to be doing. John knows what he's doing. John should tell us what we should do. Joe knows what he's doing. We should listen to what he says. What kind of place would we be in? We'd be in a tough spot. And that is the part, uh, that is the spot that the people in this text are in. But Paul's not going to settle the dispute in a way that they would hope by picking a person. And the scripture passage is about why. Chapter 3, verse 1 from 1 Corinthians, and you can find it on page 1774 or within a couple pages of that. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, 
And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere human beings? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And you can leave it open if you'd like to read along. First phrase I want you to notice there is milk, not solid food. That's what's known as a tone setter. People who think that they know everything that they need to know are told, I didn't give you everything because you couldn't handle it. You weren't ready. You ever been in a room when a leader comes in and slams the door and sets the tone with you? Have you ever had to be that leader that came in and set the tone with the people? Because whatever they were doing was so short of what we had talked about, what we had discussed, what we hoped this entity would do. But sometimes we just, we don't get it. We don't have the whole picture. You ever hear a classic southern woman say, bless his heart. He doesn't even know what he doesn't know. There's grace in that. A little bit of accountability. But there's grace in that. You don't even know what you don't know. You can't even get started. But you are operating as if you don't have anything else to learn. I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was a junior at the Citadel, I was on uh, what's called the cadre. This is, a, this is a welcoming committee to freshmen designed to elevate them in a hurry and stay with them for nine months until they were functional in society and in a group. And I was on that cadre. So um, we took nine to ten cadets from walking in the door with lots of hair and lots of attitude to nine months later, um, very fit, a uh, lot shorter hair and a teen concept attitude. And there were occasions when I had to yell. I personally never did it in order just to do it, but same as parenting to help you get to another level than where you are right now. But in one instance, uh, they're called knobs, freshmen. A knob came down the stairs, it was time for a shower, and you have uh, robes and flip-flops and you're supposed to bring your soap, you're supposed to hold it a certain way, it's ridiculous. But he came down, we have white hats, like you're accustomed to seeing in the Navy, it's a round hat. And we have black covers for those white hats in case it's raining. And this knob's roommate had quit during the first week. And so he had nothing to bounce ideas off of, which is a hard place to be. He came running down the stairs with that black cover for the white hat as a shower cap. So we are yelling and we're getting to do stuff and we're trying to um, overwhelm their emotions with the intent over time to raise that level of what will overwhelm them emotionally or physically to the point that barely anything will. But we're yelling, yelling, yelling. There's a guy with a shower cap on This supposed to be a white hat. I couldn't yell at him. It was so hopeless. And so funny. I got in trouble all the time, as you might imagine, as a knob for laughing. And my dearest friends preyed on my weakness and did stuff all the time to make me laugh. So I was no different as a junior, as a cadre sergeant, so I couldn't yell at this person because they were so clueless and I could not stop laughing. So imagine those two images and imagine those people 
who have a serious conflict over who is the leader. The reason Paul has to get into them is because there's a clear indication of a problem. Some choosing Paul and some choosing Apollos. Now the people have learned a great deal, but they're choosing humans to follow rather than the message of Jesus Christ. Now there's probably other reasons, but I've got three reasons I think really capture why. Humans are tangible. I can reach out and touch it. I do chapel with ones and twos and threes and fours. Threes and fours get it a little bit more than the ones and twos do, as you might imagine. But a three-year-old in the class, when I was doing this text for this week, said, um, I don't know that God exists because I've never seen Him. Thinking, wow, we were just doing head, shoulders, knees, and toes, and now you elevated this to a deep theological level. It's real. And I said, um, well, do you see mountains? Mm -hmm. Do you see dolphins? Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself in the mirror? Mm -hmm. I said, those are all things that you can see. And in my opinion, God created all of them. So see yourself as God's creation in this world and the people around you. Even that guy that took your crayon 20 minutes ago. God's creation. So one, tangible. Human beings are tangible. Another reason, human beings say what we like to hear, which is the thing we already believed before they ever said anything. Human leaders affirm our preconceived notions in order to get something from us, right? We do that all the time, and we seek out people who will say the things that we thought before, far more than people who will say, no, that wasn't close. We really need to elevate it. I'm not certain about this, but I, I think maybe human beings are mortal. And if we believe exclusively in human beings, then one day that human being won't be there and maybe I can occupy that spot. Maybe I can be the most significant person. And so there's probably more reasons than that, that the people are following Paul or Apollos more than the teachings of Jesus. But I think those are three crucial ones that we live out every day. Let's look at verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither, one, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So if we consider ourselves as servants to the one who makes the grass grow, you ever thought about that? As a critical nature of God. I'm a servant of the one who makes the grass grow. A thing that I take for granted all the time and walk past all the time to meetings in which we are seeking authority or power or whatever. We walk right past grass that pre-existed us and will be there long after us. What if when you see that image of grass, and I'm not talking about whether grass dies literally in nine months. I'm talking about the fact that there is grass. What if you were to consider when you saw grass, this is here before me, this will be here long after me. I'm simply here to serve the one who created it. That'd be quite a difference. To understand the provenient grace, the love that God gives us before we ever did a thing, and the fact that our window is limited. I served a church in West Ashley 
as the associate. And we went to a home that was on a tidal creek for a party. And the party was probably from two to five, so we got to see the tidal creek come in. It's beautiful in the sunset. And I said to the owner, what kind of sense does it give you that this tidal creek was here many, many years before you ever were and will be here many, many years after you are? Because that's the kind of simple level conversation I have with a person at a party. I'm never just like, well, it's warm outside and then done. Um, I'm asking stuff like that. And he said, um, I find great comfort in it. He said, I love it. Because I know that the creator who made this is present with me regardless and I get a reminder four times a day. Going in and out. We need that reminder. We need the reminder that Paul was giving to the people. And you talk about struggling to get a message to a person who is in the same room as you. He's writing a letter to these people trying to convince them. That it's not about them, it's about the service to God. Verse 8 says, The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. What does the phrase co-workers evoke in your heart and in your mind? What percentage of your coworkers have you liked? 50 50? 60-40? 70-30? 30-70? Whatever it may be, whether it's their skill set, whether it's their attitude, whether it's their um, uh, relation to you on the chart, whether it's how much they celebrate what they've done or how much they're down on themselves about what they've done, or that they ate your sandwich out of the refrigerator last week. Whatever it may be, I think when you think co-workers, throughout your entire life, I've done ministry for 17 years, I did, I served tables for four, three, four summers, I worked at Carowinds. I can think of people who inspired me to do stuff, and I can think of people who I thought, oh, I'm going to have to see that person today. But if we thought to ourselves, it's not about the humans in our lives, the co-workers in our lives, as to whether we believe in this or not. Or as to whether we are going to achieve or not. Or as to whether we're going to follow God or not. He says, you're co-workers in the creation that God has given us. Co-workers. Regardless of who that is, you are in it together. So we're to do our job. You know how hard it is to focus simply on your job and not look over your cubicle at what the other person is doing? Or what the other person is writing? Or what the other person is teaching? We're to stay in our lane. Focus on the tasks that we have before us. Because if we don't do our job, if we don't stay in our lane, if we don't, most importantly, give praise to God for the things that are in front of us, then the percentage of time that we spend wasting arguing over who someone is or what they've done or how it's impeded us will creep up from 10%, 20%, 30%. You ever get over 
inefficiency in your job because you cannot stand the people that are around you? You ever struggle in the life of the church because of the people that are around you? And simply boil down into arguing over what we should do and what we should say and what that person should uh, move on? This is not a new issue. You are not the first one to come up with this concept. The people in the very first churches in the name of Jesus Christ were struggling over which human to follow and what words to follow from that human. Paul attempts to clarify. And he says, we have one leader, one purpose, one message of which we are co-workers. So in the instances between this service and the next service that you attend, I want you to think about the grace and the love and the mercy that's gone before you in the creation that's around you that existed, pre-existed you by millions of years. I also want you to hold that intention with the window of time that you have in this life to do something significant with the message that we've been given. And when someone on the road or in your office or at your own kitchen table in your home upsets you to the point that you think, I can no longer do something in God's name, figure that's not right. Figure that we have a window. Figure that your God loves you. And figure that it's not just about hugs and you're done. You are called by God to go out and to do, to speak, to love, to inspire. Because that's what Peter, Paul, was telling his first churches to do 2,000 years ago. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll turn in your hymnal to page 405 and stand as you're able to join us in our final hymn. mission and service team this meet this week as they meet for our nominations team as they meet be in prayer for advent as they um, have discussions about rebuilding be in prayer for those around you who are co-workers in this field in which we've been placed go in peace may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god the power and the presence of the holy spirit be with you all amen